I'm reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Miss Shirley. And I also want to acknowledge or recognize Christina up here, right, playing the drums and singing. Ron Henley, if some of you know the Eagles. I don't know other drummers that sing along too, but that was amazing. I'll say on that note, if uh, I know some of us are maybe challenged, right, like clapping on beat, you know, things like that. If Christina can do all that, we can learn. We can grow and learn together as a church family. So uh, I want to again just say welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I'm so glad that you are here to, uh, to, to, to worship with us on this Father's Day morning. It's uh, Historically, I don't say this to shame anyone or anything, I just think it hopefully sticks. This, when I first heard this, it, it stuck with me that historically, Father's Day is one of the least church-attended days of the year, whereas Mother's Day is historically one of the most uh, church-attended days of the year. And what that kind of tells us, if you will, social commentary, on priorities and different things like that. I just, so again, I want to encourage and commend all of us, the dads that are here, not that any dad that isn't here, that that's, you know, I almost didn't come, but I forgot I had to preach. So uh, I picked up the donuts, so I almost just went, went to the lake and ate however many hundred donuts there were. But I'm here. I'm glad we can be here together. Uh, a couple things I want to let us know about before we get into the sermon. Just one thing is uh, we have two men that we got to, actually two fathers who uh, one has adult kids, one has uh, young kids, including a, a, like an infant. Um, David Province and Jonathan Scherzer are in Guatemala right now with champions in action. Yeah, well, let's clap for that. Yeah. So they are in Guatemala with champions in action. I saw a friend here, Sean Beiser. The Beisers are here, and Sean Beiser went that first year that we ever went to kind of help pioneer a partnership that we have with champions in action. And uh, those two men went to kind of re-pioneer, if you will. Uh, we haven't been in the last couple years, and we're excited to hopefully rekindle that partnership. And this is actually the day that uh, on Sunday where everything kind of starts, all these kids from uh, young men from ages like 12 to, um, to, to 18 will come through this, this camp, and young women, and uh, they're at different camps, and, and it all starts on Sunday. So um, in a mo- moment when I pray, I want to be sure to pray for that, and I want to encourage you. They're going to be there for, um, for seven, uh, it'll be almost t- 10 days, and it's an intense week. Anyone who's been there before can attest 
to that. It is hot and humid. Sometimes the electricity goes out and though there's no AC anyway, then even the fans don't work when you're in those and it's just still wet air. And uh, there's a lot that goes on. So please be praying as you remember them. And now for us here this morning in Tucson, we're going to get back into our time together in 1 John. If you remember two weeks ago, we kicked off a new sermon series, which will be in throughout the summer in 1 John. Pastor Marcus kicked that off for us. And then we took a break last week. We did a state of the church address where we all stood and sat and stood and sat. And we, but we learned, right, of what has God done uh, in, the, in the past through and in our church. What is he doing now and what is up ahead? So if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that that uh, that that service. There are uh, a few things we want to make sure you are aware of. But in First John, the big idea of 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 First John, what it feels like, is a call back to Jesus. It, the author John writes so First John, then John Junior writes Second John, John the no same John, but he writes three different. Le, le, Headers to, uh, I think I forgot to tell you, I stutter. So if you haven't figured it out yet, there it is. Uh, now you know. Um, so, so in this first John, it's a call back to Jesus, a group of people who have, who have, who have, who have known him, have heard the good news of following Christ, and then have wandered and are tempted, as Pastor Marcus explained. It's like there's a gravitational pull into the ways of the world, which is simply uh, away a from following Jesus in all of life. There's this gravitational pull, this temptation. And, and, the, and, the, and the big idea in John is he says, come back to Jesus because in Jesus is he is light and he is love. And so those themes of light and and darkness and love and hatred will run all throughout John. And so this morning, specifically, the big idea that I want us to walk away with or to hear and to see through these 11 verses together is this. Know that you belong to Jesus. And how do you know? You know it by obeying his commands. And which commands? His commands to love. Okay, so three big words to just stick with it. I pray sink in. Know, obey, love. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to oversee our time in his word together. Again, Jesus, we come, we've sung songs, we remember that, uh, that you are at work, that you are the creator of all things. You are called by John, actually, the word, the word who came and dwelt among us. And then you also have now given us the written word, the word of God, perfect, without error, enduring. Our lives can be shaped and informed and transformed by your word. And so we pray even now that through the Holy Spirit whom you sent, Lord, we ask that you will open our ears, soften our hearts, help us to receive your word, which though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word 
This word that we open up now this morning together endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Know that you belong to Jesus. Let's read together in verse 1 of chapter 2 in 1 John. That was a bunch of numbers. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so the the goal is to not sin. Okay, he says, I write these things so that you won't sin. The, 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 The call to life, to flourishing, is to walk with the one who created us and who knows where life is found, who knows where where security and identity and peace is found. It's not just a list of rules, do this, don't do that, and God's a killjoy and is like, don't sin because sinning's fun and I don't want you to have any, any fun, right? That's sometimes how it feels. Even if we wouldn't say that, sometimes that's what we believe in our hearts. But no, God says that in him is life. That, that, that life is not found outside of him. And so this author, John here, has written to a group of people specifically thousands of years ago and then generally to you and me today. And he says, I write these things to you so that you won't sin. So you will grow in experiencing flourishing life. But if you do sin, when you do sin, don't worry you have an advocate with the Father, right? We've talked about that. When we were in the book of Romans just a few weeks ago, we walked through the significance of what it means to have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. That's a further explanation of what it means to have an advocate. Well, what does that mean, right? Propitiation, that's not a word we use very often, uh, right? And Day to day, if you do, maybe come and talk to me. I'd love to hear how and in what context you use that word. But, but we have an advocate, the propitiation. Here's a helpful definition of propitiation that I found this week as I prepared. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. Okay, an advocate, you and I, because of our sin, because of our unrighteousness, because we have rebelled We now have to try to give an account for ourselves, but we can't. We are talking to a righteous, holy, perfect God, and we are standing in unholiness, unrighteousness. But Jesus, as we see here, the righteous one steps in and advocates, and he takes the wrath, the judgment, the condemnation, the consequences that we deserve on himself. That's the significance of the cross. Jesus pays the penalty. He takes, absorbs the wrath of God. And then he turns it to favor so that you and I now have favor with God. That's something significant to sit in. I don't know if you and I operate that way, but do you understand, hear me right now. God 
delights over you. That's why the author here, John, writes here in in verse 1, he says, children, a term of endearment, a term of kindness, a term of love. So when he calls, I write these things so you won't sin, but when you do, don't beat yourself up. Don't condemn yourself because even God himself does not condemn you because if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have a righteous, sufficient advocate. And so the, the, the idea here is that you and I, when we, when, we, when we seek to not sin, it's grace-driven obedience. Okay, now, like, entertain this thought with me for a mo- moment. If you're struggling and striving and gritting your teeth and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, hoping that you will not offend God, because if you do, you know that all hell is going to be, be poured out on you. You are going to, and God is just waiting there to judge you, to condemn you, to zap you, right, to get you. Like, that is not motivating, right? Some of you who have young kids here, you know, right? If you tell a kid not to do something, what does that do? It plants a seed. Oh, I want to do that. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't take this. Oh, now I'm tempted. Now I know. Okay, what's out there? But God, knowing that that's our nature, that sin, like, captivates us, he takes away the power of sin by forgiving us fully and completely, by having an advocate who fully forgives us and empowers us to be viewed as delighted in, forgiven, rejoiced over children of God. Now sin has lost its power. And so now we are set free from the power of sin and called into grace-driven obedience. I'm sure and I hope that you have examples in your life. What would it look like for you to fight sin, knowing sin has lost its power, knowing that you have been forgiven for what you have committed, what you maybe are currently committing and what you even will commit, sins and offenses you will commit in the future, you have already been forgiven. So now you no longer have to strive to not sin. You just have to simply respond to the obedience and the kindness that God has given you through Jesus. Now, who is that for, though? Who gets this this freedom? Who is this? He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Now, let me explain that for a moment because that could be confusing, right? We we talked about this again a couple of months ago, this idea, and I want to speak into that there because this idea could come, oh, God's grace and kindness just covers the whole world. It doesn't matter what you, who or what you call God. It doesn't matter where your faith is placed as long as you have faith in something and God will make it all work out. Well, I just want to tell you that's not the message of the Bible. This same author, actually, John, does a lot of explaining that life is found only in Jesus. He says in, in, uh, in John, the g- gospel of John, that, that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father. No one is reconciled to the Father except through him. Okay, so this isn't saying that, that, that God's grace and kindness and salvation is just for anyone, okay, just out there and just kind of believe. It, it doesn't matter the object or the source 
of your faith. What this means specifically, he's addressing this idea at this time of Gnosticism. Gnosticism means that you need special saving knowledge that you can only get through a select group of people who have been given this special knowledge by some deity, by God, and now they have it. And so you have to come and learn the secret handshake and the certain, certain kind of routines of this group of people, and then you can now be saved. That's what the Gnostics believe. There are modern-day Gnostics. The most uh, obvious one is actually Jehovah's Witness would be a a, a modern-day Gnosticism, that there's a select group of people that, that, that if you learn from these people over time, you will get the knowledge, the information that you need to now have the key to learn lasting life. And John is saying, no, this good news, this salvation, this advocate, Jesus, this propitiation, this exchange of wrath into favor is available to everyone. Every walks of life, every group of people, no matter rich or poor, in this slave or free, Jew or Gentile, Republican or Democrat, uh, wherever, right, sun devil or wildcat, right, wherever, whatever, and whoever, it is, wherever, and that's kind of a, a silly joke, but even our minds, right, we might sometimes use this language of like othering. Oh, God's grace for God so loved the world, a song we're going to sing in a, in, a, in a moment, the second song in our response time to introduce this idea, God so loved the world, except. Right In that time, that was prevalent. And I think if we're honest with ourselves in our day as well, we can think God's grace is sufficient and available to everyone, to all walks of life, except. And no, God's word, God's message is no to everyone, all walks of life, every group of people. Well, how do you know? Like, how can you actually know that you have the advocate standing in you, that you are saved, that you are secure? He says, I write these things so that you will know. Pick up with me in verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, know that you are covered by Jesus. The advocate covers you, stands in your place, Well, how can you know? By obeying his commandments. Verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So verse four is, is a bit harsh, right? But I think, again, that's why John even starts this section, why, right? Where he says, he says, my little children, my beloved. So some harsh truth is coming. Sometimes we live in a day that's like, it's all grace, no truth, or all truth, no grace. Well, I would actually say that, 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 that grace without truth is not 
actually grace. And that truth without grace is not actually truth. And so here even we have this, this, this m- m- message of truth. Listen, if you think or say you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't actually follow him, right? You say you're a Christian, but you don't actually obey Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then you don't, you don't live your life in such a way that reveals that he actually is where wife is found. Okay, again, like sometimes we use these like Christian terms and ideas and we get lost and all that. But again, just like walk this out with me for a moment. If Jesus says, come to me and I will give you life. And then our entire life is reflective of finding life elsewhere of living the exact opposite of how and where Jesus says life is found, then it's just just true that it should cause to question, do I actually follow Jesus? Have I actually trusted Jesus? Have I actually given my life to him? If I live my whole life in such a way that does not reflect that I trust him, that I believe him, that I find life in him, then I should question whether or not I actually do believe that, whether or not that actually is true. It's not just checking a box. Oh, where am I? Oh, I'm Christian. I went to a Christian school. I'm, I was born in a Christian house. My, my dad's a p- pastor. It's just assumed. He says, no, evaluate your life. There's um, something I found as I prepared this week, a good li- 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 witness test is this. Do you have a changed life? Evidenced by obedience as a pattern of life that shows you are born again, given a new heart. That's born again. Some of us that grew up in around Christian culture, when I was in, in the South, a lot of people talked about this, born again. Are you born again? Yeah, I am. Oh, good. Then, and it was just something that you said, well, what does that mean? Born again means given a new heart. Again, where and how you used to find life has now been changed and transformed, and now you you're given a new heart, new desires. Now, let me speak to us for a moment, okay? Because I want to encourage us. Some of us, as is often the case, the people that should be convicted often aren't. And the people that shouldn't be convicted often are. Let me just say this straight. If you're concerned about whether or not you're, you're truly a Christian and you say, I have entrusted my life to Jesus, but I'm concerned. I think that's actually should be a comfort to you. That's actually evidence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in your life that you actually care, that you're convicted. But those of us who just think, oh, I've done this, I've, I've accepted this, I've, I, did, I went through these routines and now I just hit cruise control on my life and because, you know, and my life doesn't reflect a life that in any way when I sin, I don't even necessarily care. I just, when I, I talk about other people a certain way, I just kind of blow right past it. But oh, uh, you know, the church I went to said, if I said this prayer, it's a magic password, abracadabra, now I'm good. Then I would submit to you, you should evaluate and consider have you actually given your life to Jesus? My many members of my family, some of you know my own story, um, have lived 
like long cycles of habitual sin. Um, those who I believe are, were Christians who'd given their life to Jesus at some point in their life, even for decades, in one case, like 30 years of life was not fun. <laughs> Because he was in this pattern, he tried to sin, but God like wouldn't look, look, let him go. I have an, another brother who I love, he's doing well, he's, he's in a great place right now, and he would say that he's gone like 10 years at a time of just suffering. And he looks at other people that he's out partying with, doing drugs with, drinking, all these things, and, and, and they're having fun. They're not, but he's convicted. I, again, I would encourage you, that, 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 that means you have given your life to Jesus, the one where life is found. But, but it's, if you're trying to find life elsewhere, it's, it's no longer fun because somewhere deep down you know now that's not who and what I was created for. So let this be an encouragement to obey. Again, not a mean ogre who's a, killjoy, but the one who knows where we will truly find fulfillment and peace and hope and joy. So know that you are covered by Jesus. Well, how do you know? By obeying his commands. Which commands? All of them. (laughs) Right? Good question. Pick up with me now in verse 7. He again says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, so which commandments? The old ones. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So I'm, I mean, I went to public school my whole life, so I, uh, I understand that I might miss some things here, but the old commandment, at the same time, the new commandment, what does that mean? He's saying the entire Bible is giving you the same theme, the same message. The whole Bible can be summed up, Jesus says, in one message. It's the same message when Jesus says, it was actually Joel said it earlier. It's the same message in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, way back in the first five books of the Bible. That same message is what you and I are called to obey. And what is it? love. Know that you are covered by Jesus by obeying his commands, which commands all of them, the whole Bible. And what are those commands? Love. In Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is challenged, this is what he says. He says, love God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this is the whole Bible. It all can be summed in that. The law and the prophets, the, the whole Bible is coming that. Love God and love your neighbor. 
Look back with me in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother. So again, Jesus is the light. In him is light. You walk with him in the light. You live a life of light in the light. But if you hate your brother, you're still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's an old commandment because the whole Bible is summed up in this, love God and love your neighbor. Keith, who just graduated seminary, so it was a little further back for me, so I need to shake off some cobwebs, but it's pretty fresh for him. He could probably explain to you and walk through all these commands, the 10 commandments, all these Levitical laws, even the one that says like, don't, um, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Sorry, vegans. Um, it's in the Bible. It's um, right. Don't do that. But even that is, is a message of what it looks like to love your neighbor well. Of, of how to live a life that, that acknowledges and re- recognizes life. The whole Bible is summed up in that. But then Jesus takes it even a step further. The whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes it like another step further. He says, you've heard, um, don't kill your neighbor. I say to you, don't hate your neighbor. He takes it a step further time and time again. But then it's even more so a new commandment because Jesus says to love how? Like him. Not just love better than someone else. Love better than whoever, right, the other is. But love like Jesus. And how does Jesus love? He lays down his life. He lays down his rights. And in this letter in 1 John Again, he's saying, you're in this gravitational pull. Everything around you is tempting you to live a different kind of way, to blend in, to think that life is found this way. But Jesus says, no, you might think you're walking in the light, but that's actually the darkness. You might think you're being loving, but that's actually hatred. Jesus says, my way is holy, it's set apart, it's different. If you want to know your mind, obey my commandments. Which commandments? To love. We are living in disorienting times, are we not? I, Church, I truly believe if we are to faithfully follow Jesus, we are not going to blend in or fit in anywhere. Anywhere even some places that say this is what it means to be Christian, if it's not reflective of a love like Christ, it's not of him. It's darkness. We have another political season coming up, right? It's going to start, we're all going to start getting the, un, the phone calls and I still don't know how I get on which phone calls. It's like I get emails from one group and phone calls from another and I don't know who knows my number and where it's all coming from, but no, I don't want to hear any of it. 
But it's, it's, it's so disorienting and we can get sucked in again, this gravitational pull to start, to start lung, lung, wobbing grenades. How can we navigate these seasons ahead? Hopefully we can be humble enough to look back and, and reflect. Even if we were trying the best we could to be fa- faithful, I wanna say this publicly, I did not handle everything perfectly the last four or 44 years, right? I, I, and so hopefully we can be quick enough again to rely on God's grace and humble enough to acknowledge where we did it wrong and then desperate enough to ask for God's Holy Spirit to empower us to love like Jesus. What does love look like? How can we know if we're being loving? Let me kind of close our time with, uh, I think this incredible, and this is all throughout scripture in our, if any of you, some of you just went through our membership class. Some of you have become members at Redemption Church. We um, have a 50-page membership packet. That's to scare any of you away who haven't gone through. No, it's because we put all the, all the passages in there and everything, but it's thorough. It's theological. It's dense. It's deep. These things matter, but we start the whole membership packet off by defining what we're all about. God is love. In him is no hatred. God is light. In him is no darkness. God calls us to be a people who are set apart by love. And this is what love is. Let me share this with you. Jesus shows us how love is, man, if I could get a little, some music, no, I'm not going to tempt Matt here, but a, a little backdrop. And if I knew how to do spoken word, but I don't, and I have a stutter and it just wouldn't go well, but this just rolls. Okay. So you can take a p- picture of this and, uh, and just kind of sink, just let this like wash over you. Jesus shows us all throughout the scriptures, how love is truth telling, humble, sacrificial, considerate, hospitable, lean into this one, hostility absorbing. Come on, somebody. Non-reactive, lower place taking, honest, initiative taking, thoughtful, serving, forgiving, and ultimately substitutionary. What if we were known, as Jesus says, by our love. What if we were known as a people who are initiative-taking, who are thoughtful, who are truth-telling, and are also hostility-absorbing, lower-place-taking, having nothing to prove or nobody to impress, how much of my social media presence actually says I have everyone to prove, everyone to impress, everything to prove, and everyone to put in their place? What if we were known as a set-apart people who know we belong to Jesus and are covered by him because we obey his commandments Ultimately, the greatest commandment to love. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we love, as we'll learn in 1 John, we are even able to love, able to love you, able to love others, able to even love ourselves, not because we learned how to love, not because we first loved, but because you first loved us. You demonstrate your love for us and that while we are sinners, enemies of yours, rebellious, committing treason, running away from you, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, allow us to be set free from the lie and the bondage of sin, from the temptation to respond to hate with hate. Instead, Lord, let us be empowered, emboldened to love in such a way that demands an explanation that is only possible because we are so secure, so empowered by an otherworldly love of Jesus dying for us, giving us life, absorbing wrath, and then giving us favor. Lord, let us be set free as your church to live courageously, prophetically, powerfully through our love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.